Are you on the RCR mailing list? Never miss a beat of the news and hard-hitting stories you've come to know and love. Stay in the loop. Visit realitycheck.radio forward slash email. I want to welcome to the panel this morning, Donna Pokeri Phillips, co-leader of the Freedom and Outdoors Party and former Te Pāti Māori member. Kia ora and welcome, Donna. Nice to have you. Oh, kia ora, Paul, and thank you for inviting me along. I'm looking forward to the discussion. How have you been, um, I guess, uh, taking in all the developments of the last few weeks? It's like sitting back and watching the show a bit. That's that's kind of how I've felt popcorn out. <laughs> That's right. It pretty much has been that. You just pull the popcorn out and and see what unravels. And, wow, you know, we can't moan when this is what we voted for, right? So it's an interesting point because um, obviously with the party that you co-lead and there were other, you know, freedom parties, let's call them that, and there was, um, you know, debate at the time, and and Cam, who's here with us in a moment. Hi, Cam. Oh, let's have the other two come in. Hi, Cam. Cam Slater, welcome. Hey, how are you? Good morning. And Marty Gibson. Hi, Marty. Good morning. Yep. Hi. Okay, so Hi. we were all talking about, you know, the fragmentation of that freedom vote, and, you know, I, I was talking to Winston the other day here, and he, and he said, you know, like, we, we, we've only got what we've got. And if we had um, more vote, we'd have more cards to deal. It is what it is, and and people sort of wonder if 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 that could have been more if that fragmented vote that didn't go that way at the time went that way. What what do you think about that? Um, I think he's on point there. Uh, New Zealand Outdoors and Freedom Party listened to the people and they united. Uh, I can tell you this, that Sue Gray worked really, really hard with all the different parties to try and bring us all together. Um, Freedom NZ was not our first option. It was our only option because nobody else wanted to join. Okay. All right, but um, it, it could have been a worse outcome, I suppose. We could say that. It could have been, could have been worse. Well, you know, if you look at um, at what Winston has been able to deliver in the coalition agreements, um, you know, he's, he achieved a lot for his for his six percent. You know, there's a, an amazing list of things you can check off for freedom. People say, you know, that he's got into a coalition agreement, and this is what I was explaining to you know a lot of my friends that aren't into politics who was suggesting to me that ACT should sit on the crossbenches or New Zealand First should sit on the crossbenches. I said, well, that's a recipe for disaster because unless it's in a coalition agreement, then you can't make the other parties that are in the agreement with you go along with it. So if you sit on the crossbenches and you propose to have an COVID inquiry, National and Labour could vote against that. So to have those things as part of the coalition agreement is a is a stunning achievement by both David Seymour and by Winston Peters to hold the National Party, which, you know, everybody knows they're arrogant and born to rule in the way they carry on, uh, to actually hold their feet to the fire and not blink during the negotiations, I think is a credit to Winston Peters and David Seymour. And, and I also think, too, uh, why Winston did well is because of the fear of, um, uh, I mean, the rhetoric that was put out there, and I, and I think it also came from uh, Reality Check Radio okay. about the <laughs> wasted vote. So there certainly was a fear out there about the wasted vote, and so that has a lot to do with our political uh, system more so than anything else. I mean, even the 5% threshold is, is technically undemocratic. Mm. Yeah, but That's it's what right. we've got, and, it, and it's not going to change. We've had two goes at trying to change from MMP, and it's not going to happen. So we have to learn to live to play within the rules of the of the system. And we, well, might, not, we might not like the system, but you know, we've that's what we that that's that's the rules that the game is played with. So that's what we have to do. Well, we, we've had a review. Uh, we've had a review and there's suggestion that that 5% threshold should be dropped. Uh, my experience running in Hamilton City Council uh, local election 
and as well in the Hamilton West by-election, really brings to question the integrity of our electoral system. One, because I missed out by 41 votes in the Hamilton City Council uh, election, and yet over 100 of my votes were disallowed by the Electoral Commission, and they would not give me that information and said I had to take them to court. Now, where's the transparency and accountability for that? In the Hamilton West by-election, our uh, co-leader Sue Gray and other board members literally saw hundreds of my votes drop off, and the Electoral Commission said it dropped off because of human error. Now, that oh. doesn't leave me with a lot of confidence in the electoral process. No, but there's also um, statutory um, regulations that allow you to challenge that. I mean, what the Electoral Commission said to you, take them to court, sounds ominous, but you can ask for a judicial review. You can ask for, um, you know, there are steps that you can take all the way up to actually an electoral petition, which is horrendously expensive um, and is a last resort. Um, but we saw Melissa Lee do this in Mount Albert, you know, when she only lost by a few votes. She asked for a judicial um, recount. They did the recount. The, the number was slightly less, but the result was the same. She had lost. Um, so there are steps that you can take in, in, in legislation that are not onerous all the way up to the ones that are onerous, like an electoral petition, and only the very brave do an electoral petition. If you had to drop the threshold, what would it be to? Well, I, I believe we shouldn't have a threshold okay. myself personally, uh, but I think it was suggested about 3%. Okay. Make right. it four and then the Maori party won't exist. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, uh, Winston, uh, don't want to make it about Winston, but uh, he has been um, generating a lot of comment with uh, some of what he said in the speech at the first day of Parliament. So I want to play a little bit and let's uh, talk about that. Let me tell you two things. You're heading for 54 years if you're on the Greens at never having been in Cabinet if your party was formed in the first contest in 1972 under the name Values. Yeah. 54 years never being in Cabinet is a long time to wait. Even Moses' people, even Moses' only 40 years and his people made it. For 54 years, and the Green Party is never going to make it back at all, and nor is the party Māori. And I'll tell you why it is. Because you're heading straight to the bottom pile claiming to be what you're not, the voice of Māori. Uh-uh, no, you're not. And never will be. And certainly not someone who is so decolonised, he wears a cowboy hat. So decolonised, he wears a cowboy hat. It's amazing. Every pretension, he, every pretension he's got can be found out in five seconds flat. And whilst we're at it, the $350,000 that came from a charity... Why on earth did the Labour, did the Party Māori get that money? 3,500 3, charity money to Party Māori. And what is going on when that can be allowed to survive in this country's democracy? Oh, yeah. Not too happy now. Well, there'll be somebody knocking soon. Believe me. And the same law will apply to them as applies to every other political party. Okay. And there's plenty more. People are saying he was on fire. So, all I can say, if he if he loses in the next election, he should become a comedian. That's what <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> Look, uh, I, I've I've been watching this with a wry smile um, unfold because for 30 years the National Party has derided Winston Peters, attacked Winston Peters, undermined Winston Peters, white entered him uh, ever since that first MMP election, uh, which when he had a stunning result and won all the Maori seats uh, and ended up with 17 MPs. Ever since then, though, the, the National Party has, has vehemently opposed Winston Peters because they considered him to be a class traitor, having left National and forming New Zealand first. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people in the National Party. They've always said, never, Winston, we're not going to do – he just wants to do a deal with Natalie's Labour. It was on and on and on. There's just this list of things. And now to sit there and watch, you know, uh, Scott Simpson sitting there behind him, uh, watching uh, Luxon sitting there beside him, uh, actually enjoying 
Winston lambasting the Labour Party, the Green Party, and Te Party Maori. And it makes me, you know, feel like saying to the National Party, I told you so, it's better to have Winston on your team than against you. And mm-hmm. um, he yeah. just, he knows so much about Parliament. He knows where all the bodies are buried. He's got an army of little helpers that are digging those corpses up right now. You know, and we're going to see a constant attack from Winston Peters against the Labour Party in particular and against uh, Te Party Māori as well, uh, that no one else in the parliament can actually make those attacks, you know, other than maybe Shane Jones or Casey Costello. But the, the, yep. those attacks are going to come from New Zealand first because they can get away with it. The sting in there, though, because remember he had to run in with the serious fraud office mm. two years ago. The sting in there is talking about, and that's presumably donations that came from Te Waipareira Trust, um, 300k. He's uh, he's on the warpath there. Should you know? Should they be worried? Should they what, be worried? What was hilarious is he knew that the, one of the state-owned broadcasters had attacked him 27 times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very yeah. precise number. Yeah, and, and he, and he right. made it. He made the comment too that yeah, somebody said, "Oh, you were you were on Radio Wati." He said, "Yes, because they asked me sensible questions. They listen to what I've got to say." And you know, he didn't mention Reality Check Radio, but he was on on our station with me three times. I think it was you three times, Paul. Yep, yep. You know, and um, I know that um, there, there's there's some media he will not go on now well, because isn't of Wattier, the way he was though, Willie Jackson isn't that Willie Jackson's radio network? That's a kind of but it wasn't, it wasn't Willie he was talking about. It no. was Dale Husband. Mm. Oh, right, Dale Husband. You used to work for RNZ. Mm. Mm. Okay, so um, it, like, it, seem, it seems to me like he has a whole new fan base coming on. Well, you know, he's just making he's, – he's doing the things that people like me voted for him to do. I want him to be a rascal and a scallywag and to take the long handle – to some of the rat bags that are in Parliament and actually call them out. And that's what he's very, very good at. And so I'm just loving it. I'm <laughs> just really happy. Well, he's also triggering uh, a response that's very revealing. I only mentioned that um, the Labour Party and Party Māori had been uh, taking New Zealand in a direction of Venezuela mm. and, uh, and Myanmar. So someone started clapping. I assume it was the Greens. <laughs> Maybe it was Projecto Gay Chihuahua, um, but um, that El was Loco Loco. Yeah, that was very revealing that someone would clap for that. But, and, know, he, and he names all those those famous Maori of history too. He's hmm. uh, Pomare yeah. and uh, Ngata. And, 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 yeah, yeah and, to read and, those guys, it's the, the how. Uh, the premonition that they had, particularly talking about the the pernicious effect that welfare would would have, and uh, and that sort of thing, it it um, it's it reads it reads very relevantly to today's world. I mean, All right, he's got a point though, you know, in saying that, you know, we saw Debbie Nariwa Packer on television on Tuesday morning just being her rude, abrasive self. That was bizarre. Up against Shane Jones. And she was sitting there saying, well, New Zealand First and Act don't have a mandate to speak. They only got 6% and 8%, and we're the ones who represent Maori. And I thought, listen here, you stupid woman. You only got 3%. The Maori Party... Hang on on a minute, Cam. What they did is they won six of the seven Maori electric seats. That's not a mandate. uh, uh, Ran in, and if I'd stayed with... Te Pāti Māori, I'd be in Parliament right now. But out of principle, I chose to leave. Sure. So, but- so if they won six of the seven seats, then they do have a mandate from Māori to speak on their behalf. Well, I don't agree with that. It's 3% of the vote. No, no, no. We're talking about the seven Māori electorate seats. They won six of the seven. That- that's fine, but what I'm saying is you can't sit there and criticise the New Zealand First Party and the ACT Party because they had a low percentage when you only had three. 
Well, you, it depends on how that. it depends on how you look at the electoral process because they won six out of seven seats. Yes, they got three percent of overall, uh, but we're 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 less than twenty percent of the population total. You know, total. 17. But what I'm stating, what's more important, Cam, that you mm. need to acknowledge is they won six of the seven. No, no, I've said they won that six. Does, that does give them the mandate. It no, gives it them a mandate to speak to speak for a, a lot of Māori or a, a portion of Māori. Well, but all, the, all the ones that are on the Māori electoral roll. Well, that's, that's, not all, that's not all Māori either. Do not, no, that's right. Well, here's a but fact those, for you. But those that are on the electoral roll, like myself, will choose who we want to represent us. Oh. Do not ignore. There is a two prong process. One is the electorate seat and the other is the party vote. They won six out of seven. Yeah, we've got to work with the system but, we're given, Ken. But, but yeah, that's right. But here's some facts, right? In well so that's you, a fact. You yeah, can't yeah. deny that fact, Cam. They I'm won not. six out of seven seats. They have but, the mandate from Marty. All the Marty on the electoral roll that voted for them, they have that mandate. You can't deny them that. I, I'm just I have not denied them that. What I'm saying only look partially at the 3% and not the electorate. Okay. I've looked a little bit deeper than this than you think I have, right? Because in 1996, New Zealand First, the only party other than Labour to win all Maori seats, right? They won all Maori seats in 1996. No one said they had a mandate to speak for all Maori when they did that. No one had that. Hang on a minute. No, No, hang on. I haven't finished yet. No no one asked or had that argument back then. But but so at the t- but, it, but going the and point I'm going to make I would say because I was on the electoral uh, Māori electoral roll at that time and they certainly did have the mandate from Māori because they voted for them. Yep, and if you'd let me finish, I was going to point out that in 1996, New Zealand First in all of those electorates won over 50 percent of the vote in all of those electorates when they won them. Now that's a mandate. Well, it doesn't matter the percentage. They won the seat. That's a mandate. That's right. But okay. was, my yeah. point is they didn't have that argument. They just got on with the co-papa that they were elected to get on with. Which um, is what they should do. Given all that, it does seem <laughs> that it's, it's a kind of, well, I won't say freak show, but there's some element of, I don't know, clown clownness to it with the what is worn and, what is said, um, and you referred to that, um, uh, was it Breakfast TV that the two were on? Um, mm. And she was actually quite, well, rude. Unreasonable. So, yeah, and and talk about recycling the old tropes, is that the word? You know, he's a misogynist and he's a, you know, if, if, if they were, those I mean, things are being said about her, she'd be falling out of a chair, so... But- but that's Who the hell does she anyway. think she is, man? I mean, calling Sean J- Shane Jones a misogynist, she's clearly never met Dot. Because I tell you what, <laughs> Dot Dot wouldn't put up with any nonsense, misogynist nonsense from Shane Jones. And I've seen her in action. <laughs> Let yeah. me tell you, she's a fiery woman. <laughs> you know? I'm sure that's the case, but it's just so tired. Okay? Is that all you've got? Really? Well, it's a divide between a tri- tribalism and individualism. And and you know, Te Party Māori represents tribalism, and um, and people like James Meagher, the new National Party MP, represents individualism and, and the refusal to to be a school of kahawai. And, and that's you know, and that that comes down to the disagreements about the treaty as well, where you know whether you see uh, Tino Rangatiratanga, meaning um, the chiefs have have um, say over a group of people. Or it means an Englishman's home is his castle, and people have got the right to individual property ownership. Um, and yeah, and Marxism is the colonisation that dare not speak its name as well. So that's where a lot of those squid ink labels. Does, does like, she have being a par- Does she have a partner? That woman? Yes, she does. She's got a lovely husband, actually. Oh, what well, does she smash him to pieces like no. on a daily basis, no, like she, she did there? <laughs> Poor guy. Just like Shane Jones, eh? You'd assume that, but no. So it's all just BS, really, isn't it, for public consumption? It's just grandstanding is what it is. Oh, I think all politicians grandstand, don't you think? 
Yeah, but I, I don't like um, being roped here. into no, feeling like... I just pick like... one DB here. Come on. But, but who likes to – I don't like to be um, listening to someone who's basically – because I'm of the same generation, describing me as that. You don't even know me. If I said it about you, you'd be furious. Um, you're only travelling up and down the country on a jetliner because men designed them. Okay, so give us a break. All right. Um, let's talk about this whistleblower. I'll start with you, Donna, with your legal background. What is, what is your kind of thinking on what has happened in the last week with the – data leak, how it was done, and, and where that leaves everything for trying to uh, unbundle all this crap in the future. Well, it's interesting because, uh, as we mentioned earlier uh, in our discussion, the OIAs would have protected him and would have set the, the whātiki or, or, or the platform uh for it to go out. Uh, I think the fact that they uh, got experts involved prior to uh, letting it go public was a good thing. Um, and But people seem to forget that he's protected under uh, the uh, uh, protected, Disclo was it? protected Disclosure Act or the Whistleblowers Act. If, if a person discloses criminality, and that's what he thinks his intent is, uh, that he thinks that, that there's something criminal or there's criminal intent there, then they're protected under that act. Um, it's interesting that the police have got themselves involved and forget that there's a Bill of Rights uh, uh, and, and they, they're trying to, um, I guess, censor him uh, by stating that he's sharing misinformation and disinformation. Misinform what, what, what about the way it has been described by him himself on Alex Jones, of all places, that um, he rocked up to his house, there were plainclothes cops, multiple the door had been physically broken down the house i think he described it as being trashed you know yeah. what the hell is going on here it's that chinese expression you kill the chickens to train the monkeys you know that anyone who's thinking of coming forward is going to be watching that and thinking oh but how could you I'm ever think if you're the new zealand police that is the way to do this who's side you want kool-aid what drugs uh, what are they giving you to, to have you thinking that's acceptable? But the police do this all the time. They do it all the time to firearms owners. Right? Oh, because he was a firearms owner. So that's, they would so they would have used that as an excuse for them to kick in the doors. You know, oh, there could have been a risk here of you know, but but here's the thing the police went uh to court, uh opposed bail, saying that there was a risk um that he would spread misinformation. Well, there's no law against that. No, there's actually no. There's no such thing as misinformation. Is someone there's preaching only, on the corner? There's only information that you don't like. That's what it is. And so you know the police have gone over the top here. The, the so is the Ministry of Health, which doesn't doesn't engender any confidence. But on the other side, um, looking at this from a um, uh, you know from a journalist's point of view, the way this was handled was appalling. Uh, there was no protection of the source. There was no um, legwork that was done beforehand so that they could try and uh, get this information legitimately. And I've got experience in doing this. When I released the you know, Interpol memo that showed that the police had uh, acted extrajudicially to prevent Avi Yemeni coming to New Zealand, I already had the memo. I asked for it under the Official Information Act Um I waited till I got the memo from that before I released it so that I could protect my source. And nobody knows who my source for that was or is, and there's been investigations to do all of that, but I protected the source because I went and obtained it legally. And the, the police in that instance had two choices. They could either look, deny the existence of the memo but they clearly knew I had a copy of the memo because I'd referenced it in my official information act request, which forced them to tell the truth. And that's what should have happened in this case. But you can't put the poo back in the donkey, right? So we have to now move forward with what we've got. I like the, the toothpaste in the tube analogy better, but okay. Well, yeah. So, wow. so Liz Gunn, with her experience with the law and her experience as a journalist, uh, does she hold some responsibility for? Yes, I believe yeah. so. 
Can you, though, argue, even though it's messy, that sometimes the messiness of it can kind of capture... Well, It'll be small comfort to old uh, Winston Smith, won't it? Well, the well thing he's is, still out there. He's, he's the thing is, out. though, um, Paul, is that this is such a fraught topic to discuss. Even today, there are people out there who are still drinking the Kool-Aid, wearing sure. masks, doing all of that sort of thing, right? The Ministry of Health have, have got vested interests in protecting this sort of data and information. Now, the analysis that I've seen from people that I respect, like Eugippius in Germany, and um, they've re uh, referenced William Briggs, are saying this is interesting, this data, but there's issues with it. That's okay if we can get the full data set and then we have, have a look at it properly, then that's okay too, and we'll look at that. And it's to, to my mind that the whole way that it was released all branded up with NZ Loyal stuff and this, you know, mother of all releases and all of this um, emotive claptrap that went around it detracts from what the actual message is, is that we've got some data here that's interesting and we need to look at it. And, and I think the only way forward for this is that this data set in its entirety from the Ministry of Health needs to be brought into the inquiry that Winston Peters is Absolutely. Uh, and I think that is the 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 only way that we're going to believe anything is that independent inquiry where we've got these people that are looking at it, where we can get actual, you know, uh, proper data analysis done uh, rather than on the fly stuff that's done on Twitter or whatever. Because I think it's important. You know, if we look at all of the other inquiries that are happening around the world, and we're looking at what's happening in the UK, in Israel, in the United States, we won't be any different from what's being revealed in those things. So this should just add to that. It's in it's data that's relevant to New Zealand. Let's get all of the data from from the Ministry of Health and let's analyze it and let's see. Why if that hasn't the data is. been released in full? It could be done tomorrow. They have huge resources. People are it's all up in the air. People are wondering and, and well, running away in all sorts of directions. They could settle that right now as we as a well, we, we know we know the war game we know the, the game that they're playing because they they went and got an injunction saying that they're worried about privacy breaches, right? So but here's the here's the joke of it all. We had a vaccine pass. Yeah, that you know, revealed system. everybody's. <laughs> we, we, everybody revealed their vaccine status so they could go to McDonald's. And, you know, the, the Doris behind the counter at McDonald's got to see your, your vaccine status. Yeah. So there's no privacy concerns here at all. Mm. And, and So what are they hiding? Yeah, so, let, so let's get the data out there. Let's get it analysed properly and let's get rid of all this emotional claptrap that's around it and see if it is. The trouble you know, with the, there is emotional claptrap. Uh, can because in the real world experience, in the anecdotal world, people know people, close people, friend circle, that things have happened to those people. Well, if yeah. we've learned anything from this, it's people's ability to deny reality. And uh, unfortunately, with with what they've been through in terms of the mentor side and just the breaking down of, of their ability to resist that, uh, the politicians and officials know that that you can do what Shane Retty did and said, experts tell me it's safe and effective. There's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there, and that's enough. Mm. And the main thing we can say is not necessarily standing and insisting on interpretation of the data, but as you say, they're sitting on that data, and it's categorized by vaccine status, data for illness, data for death, and why don't they release it? And so that's... That's the point. That's the pinch point that we've just got to keep having. Because if, if it was you or I and we felt like we were under attack and, and and it's all turning to custard and they're all getting it wrong, what would we do? Well, that's what they, they'd release the data if the data proved their point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and you know, can I just talk about anecdotal? Uh, um, in the last two months, yeah. uh, my husband and his whanau have buried nine whanau members in the last two months. What? Oh, like, yeah, that's right. And then in 2021, in December of 2021, they buried 30 
whānau members. 30. And it after the rollout. So anecdotally, uh, uh, from my husband's perspective, and even the whānau are saying, what's wrong here? Um, I share my father's story because he died of his vaccine injury, hence the reason why I'm part of the uh, uh, freedom whānau rather than te party mm. Māori whānau right. is because uh, we parted ways when it comes to uh, the vaccine and the rollout. So anecdotally, uh, what's happening in our whānau is actually what that data is saying. Yeah, well, we this want- is the chilling thing. This is this is what sends the chill. That's what Eugipius says in, in their article. They say, finally, bureaucracies fight ferocious battles to keep even the most mundane records secret because the mere pretense of access to hidden information allows state officials to make statements that outsiders cannot challenge or verify. And um, that's that's the nub of it. They don't want the information out there because they've got a narrative to defend which is safe and effective. Yeah, but what and happens... What concerns, like- me, what concerns me is we're going to continue to bury Farno because of that. What you just said, Donna, that, you know, those numbers that you mentioned... If that um, is similar to you know a lot more people, then dots start getting connected more and more. Even just the knowledge that this is kicking around without the detail, you know, rings alarm bells. Surely, at some point, something has to give. You know, you well, can't just the long COVID. They, they did that for a couple of months recently, didn't they? There were a lot of long, you know, long COVID. Why it's a thing. Yeah, it's a and, handy little thing to have. Yeah, they'll just they'll just keep doing that, and uh, it's why I guess it is lucky that. that but but if people are, I'm feeling listened to, or they're being taken seriously, or every attempt to find out or understand what's going on is thwarted, obfuscated, or all those blamed things. for the problem. Is what hap- the what happens in the end? I know people will will boil over, won't they? No, they won't. Really? They won't, no, they won't boil over because. The vast majority of people believe the narrative from the government. Mm. Mm. That's the problem, mm. right, is that the people who are exercised about this as a very small number of people, and, and I'm not saying that's wrong or I'm not saying it's right either. I'm just saying what it is. And we have to deal with this in a dispassionate way, even though it's very passionate considering that people have died and and. It could be related to the vaccine. It could be related to anything. It could be related to the lockdowns, in fact, you know, that with people not getting treatment when they were locked down. There's a whole number of factors, but we won't know what those are if we don't look. And so what I'm saying is that this is gives us a peak. It's interesting. It. I don't believe that the numbers that Liz Gunn was talking about are as high as they as they've claimed. I think there's a probably, you know, a lesser number. But we won't know unless we see all of the data. So yeah. let's let's see all of the data. And the very best place to do this is to put it into the inquiry. And it might take longer for that to come to a conclusion, but at least it'll be done properly. And then there can be no arguments. Well it has to be done. It has to be well, done. Well the horse is bolted Hey, the horse is bolted, so it has to be part of the inquiry, surely. Well, it has to. I mean, it has to be part of the inquiry, uh, and it's realistically the only place that it can be adequately done uh, and done properly with independent analysis, rather than people rushing to be first on on X to um, declare that this is you know an alarming thing. It, it may be. I mean, I, I, I'm not convinced yet. Um, based on the analysis of people that I respect who who have looked at this, you know, people like William Briggs. Uh, and we need to get someone like Sonia Elijah looking at it as well. You know, yeah. someone who's got yeah. the 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 uh, proven track record in getting things right, you well, know, well, about you this know, sort of stuff. Again, again, Cam, anecdotally, we're having to bury 30-year-olds, 35-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 45-year-olds that shouldn't be dying suddenly. Mm. So uh, um, I don't have an explanation for it, apart from the fact that they were vexed. Shouldn't someone get around the cemeteries of the country and start counting up the new graves? Uh, Well, well, they have counted them up. I mean, in Eugibius, again, and I just refer to that article, has looked at the all-cause mortality in New Zealand for the past five years. 
So in 2018, which is before the pandemic, 33,225. 2019, 34,260. 2020, 32,006. So it dropped in 2020. In 2021, it was 34,900. In 2022, it was 38,574. It's climbing well, in those well, last two years. It's an extra 5,000. Yeah. yeah. Well, 5,000. A lot of road accidents. I don't yeah. know. But, a lot of drowning. Current, but currently, so far this year, uh, as at September, there were th- 37,569 deaths counted up to September. Obviously, we haven't got October, November, yeah. December because we haven't got those numbers yet. But it's looking like it's going to be in line with 2022, maybe slightly better than 2022. So we've got what the deaths are. We've just haven't got the causality of them, and and well, I don't one, think we're ever going to get that because they're dead and in the ground. There's well, one here's, thing here's that the happened thing. though: it's the excess mortality rate that's the concern. It's the curves. So how does the government explain those curves? Because my father's one of those curves. They well, they he could explain it tomorrow, Donna. He did not have heart problem, nor did he have lung problems prior to the jab. He got myocarditis in the second jab, pericarditis, pleural effusion, blood clots in his lungs with the booster. Uh, he had zero of those problems prior to the jab. My dad uh, had a cardiac arrhythmia, 16 hours. Sorry, Donna. My old man had a cardiac arrhythmia 16 hours after his first jab, still got his second jab, and I think in, in the year between this first one, uh, he grew a, something like a four or five kilo tumor and just about what? died. Whoa. Yeah. Well, Peter McCullough says everyone who got a sore arm has got heart damage. Right. And well, he's... We need to look into it. That's why we're having an inquiry. All right. Okay, so... Um, let's um, sort of swing back and look at the police. Mark Mitchell's open letter to the police. You would think um, that would have included don't ever hassle people on the on, on the grounds of Parliament like you did ever again. Otherwise, you won't have a job. In fact, I would have fired him anyway. But yeah, um, he, he seemed determined not to fire him, didn't he? Yeah. Well, he's he's he, he was done. You don't fire sonic cannons at women and kids and keep your job. Yeah, you mm. do because he is. Well, what yeah. does that say about our banana republic? Or well, we're not a republic, are we? <laughs> well, yeah, the poli- the police uh, act extrajudicially and illegally all the time. Mm. I mean, you know, I I give you an, a classic example. I was at a police station uh, about two weeks ago, asked by uh, a person who's not a warranted uh, police officer. They work for the Firearms Safety Authority. Can I come and inspect your car? to see how you're transporting the firearms. And I said, no, you can't. And he said, well, why not? And I said, well, because it's against the law. You're in a police station and you're asking to break the law. And he said, oh, come on, mate. You know, it's easy. Just just, show us your security that you have in your car. I said, no, you have to give me seven days' notice to do that. Are you going to give me seven days' notice? I'll come back in seven days. I'll just go, he said. Right, so they are quite prepared to break the law. They do it all the time. Absolutely, and, and you see it happen in time and time and time again, where the judges slam them and criminals get off because the police broke the law in the way that they were arresting those criminals. Marty, the um, nature of what uh, was in that open letter. What, do you want to make any comment? Uh I mean, he's just right at the top saying he wants people to feel safe on their streets, in their homes, and in their workplaces. I saw, see Auckland has dropped quite uh, perilously down the list of, of safest cities in the world. Certainly among its peers, it's one of the lo- uh, least safe cities. So there's plenty to do. And he hit out gangs in particular. Gangs have become more violent and present in our community intimidating the public and taking over public roads and spaces. This needs to stop. When, um, when we put the police in that category, sorry, I just had to throw that in. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you could also make the case that, that we were making before that, that they had don't use um, sonic weapons on gangs either. No, just women and kids. Yeah. yeah. They don't do anything yeah. with gangs. They cuddle so, them. <laughs> um, just... Um, 
you've just reminded me of something and it may or may not at with you touching on firearms just before cam and talking about the police what about that um graphic that the uh Te Māori were using with the two um you know colonial style pistols and the flags coming out of them what, what <laughs> um if, <clears throat> if any of us had um, done a graphic like that uh, how would it have gone down do you think well imagine if i'd done that if i'd put you know created a logo for a, a public protest that involved a couple of cross shotguns, you may be sure I would have had the police kicking in my door. I have re- real concerns about um, that tile, and the reason why I have real concerns is that we've got vulnerable communities uh, within our Māori communities who may may take that as a message, literally. Uh, yeah. So I think that's poor form, actually, and there are other ways of getting messages across. Yeah, I'm pleased to hear you say that, Donna. Because yeah, I, I, I think the um, that, and you know, we're, p- these people are always uh, on the left. I mean, are, are always saying the right wing is dog whistling, but there's a lot of dog whistling that happens in terms of justifying violence and and things like that that doesn't help anyone. Well, we've seen it time and time again. I mean, Tama Eti. Uh, took a, a, a tupara to um, to a protest and fired it at a flag on the ground. Now, if anybody else fired a firearm uh, it, 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 with people all around them, they'd be arrested. But he didn't get anything. Nothing happened. Uh, and I use the old term tupara because double barrel shotgun was called that uh, by Maori early on, and those were you know back in the muzzle loading days when they actually fought battles with these muzzle-loading shotguns, you know, double-barreled shotguns. They're, they're quite collectible. But, um, you know, <laughs> How many have you got? Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> as many as I can have. And and I'm really surprised because, uh, uh, dare I say it, but Debbie and I are related, um, and we both come from Pariaka, uh, which mm. is known for their passive resistance and their non, non-violent resistance. So the fact that she's co-leader um, of Te Pāti Māori and allowed that symbol of violence, knowing that that violence was um, uh, I'm the descendant of that type of violence against my ancestors. I just, you know, it sends mixed messages. But we saw saw that with the opening of Parliament too because uh, the the Te Pāti Māori MPs all rocked up holding various different forms of patu uh, or or other particular weapons. Now, I don't have a problem with that because to me that's uh, cultural symbolism. Well, I do. Well, that, I do. Well, I do because. Um, in, well, no, I don't because you obviously don't understand Te Ao Māori. When we graduate, we can take those tong into graduations. When we have something important happening on the marae, uh, so that the symbolisms of our tupuna uh, they're not necessarily used as weapons. However, a gun is a different different image altogether. And if you'd let me speak, I would have explained <laughs> explained what. Uh, our uh, parliamentary heritage is where it has been a custom for centuries for there never to be weapons in a House of Parliament, for there never to be weapons in the presence of the of, of the monarch uh, or the prime minister or anything like that. And so you've got a cult, you've got a clash of cultures here where you're saying it's okay to to go with a weapon. Um, which is well, a symbol of war, you know, into no, a place which no, is a symbol of democracy. It's classed as a cultural symbol. It's not actually always classed as a weapon. It was used as a weapon pre-European, but now it has a di- different symbolism. Um, and, and whereas a gun is an actual weapon, I mean, you don't see a gun being used at a graduation or at an With important... Americans carrying... AR-15s around as a symbol of freedom. Yeah. You know, they, they walk around strapped up just to show that they're using their uh, yeah, their, their rights. They're, they're exercising right. their, their I, I had dinner rights. once with a guy who had a, a, um, a revolver strapped to his... Um, his um, I, I, I don't have, I don't have a problem with guns. Front, front of a guy with a denim shirt once who had a massive cannon strapped to his... Um, his uh, <laughs> Waste and I just said, I'm so I can't tell you how sorry I am. And he said, Hey, no problem. 
And well, I'm if you could hang around with them, you'd, be, you'd probably be be safe, you know. What's that? <laughs> you hang around with them, sort of hover around them for safety, because you know that uh, there's a a line of um, defense yeah, protection. There's, there's states in the United States that have open carry. Um, I was in or, Arizona. Yeah, open yeah. carry laws um, have very low incidence of violent crime on the streets. I wonder why very that is. polite, very polite society. So, do you think a um, uh, um, a letter to the police commissioner is okay? They've got expectations and everything, but in, in the real world, does it? It's a signal. Change? It's a signal. It's a political signal that if, you know you, you better lift your performance here. We better see some results, otherwise you will get sacked. That's what that is. And, and I actually think it's good that there's political oversight over the police because they need it. Absolutely. They're, they're, you know, they've run roughshod. Mm. You know, I, I was at um, breakfast there on Tuesday morning with my lawyer and the next table was Mike Bush sitting there grinning at me and I thought, you supercilious bastard. Yeah. I, I I remember what you said when you yeah, were That's breaking. how you really feel, Cam. Well, no, he he stood there and he says, if you guys break, break these lockdown rules, you'll come and spend time at my place. He oh, actually right. said yeah. that, right, yeah. with a grin on his face. And he knew when he said that, that those lockdowns were illegal. So I got no, too well. No, I got no time for him or any of the others who followed him who did all the same stuff and tugged their forelocks and did whatever the their political masters you know, bid them to do whether it was legal or illegal. And as we've found out subsequently in many, many cases, what they did was illegal. All right, moving on. Um, and uh, we've we've got a whole bunch of stuff still to get to with the various panellists. I think, Marty, you're kind of still... Well, it would be um, interesting, to, you know, especially with Donna here, The there was that stuff article, um, which I think was about a Tover O'Brien uh, interview and... Uh, Waitangi National Trust Chair Peter Tippini um, said he didn't think it was going to be good this year. And there has been that signalling with the protests um, this week from, you know, that were that used that those two gun uh, tile. Um, and he, he said, in, in the best of circumstances, our people get really worked up about how the Treaty of Waitangi has not been honoured. So I encourage the Prime Minister and other political leaders to start having those talks now and put the bravado aside and talk in earnest. Well, they can't talk. They're not allowed to talk because if you talk about it, they go, oh, that's racist. Because yeah, that's, well, that's the state of the argument that we've got. You know, We've got two political parties or three political parties who stood on various different platforms with regard to, to having discourse, discussion about this, and everyone on the other side is saying, you're wrong, this is what it is, and you, you're racist for even bringing up any sort of discussion about this. So I don't know how we can have a discussion when the default position of the opposition is it's racist. Well, that was Chris Hipkins' point. Oh, they're, they're having this debate, and it's just going to be divisive. With you know, oh, he, the can talk, he knows being, all about divisiveness, doesn't debate to bring the country together. <laughs> Which essentially they kind of did. It did, as you, we said earlier, it brought a pretty big chunk of people together because they respond to that. Um, I, I'm I'm always interested in hearing. I'd be really interested in in uh, hearing uh, from Mr. Waititi. You know, what does he want? You know, and from from Maori generally, what do you want? What? Ha- I don't think they know. Uh, well. It, it'd be I'd I'd be really interested to hear because you know there's there's the oft repeated um, statement that um, there can be no settlement. Um, so if there's no settlement, what is there? So so are you asking that question in regards to the protest or? I, I mean, I could spell out what I want for this country. Right, I you know I'd like kids to be better educated. I would, I'd like for us to have uh, better paying jobs, um, better housing. I'd like us to cooperate more, have smaller government, less division, less division. Yeah, I could I could spill it off. I, I I I don't hear specifics often. Can I just uh, uh, ask the question? Does everyone on this panel have an issue with Te Reo, Te Reo Māori? No, but I've learned the most 
from Maori friends. Yeah. And I found that well, actually, no, no, that's good because when you say I, an issue, Donna, what do you mean I, when you when you well, when you I, ask it? Well, well, well because, I have to qualify because that because of I, the, I think there's been a bit of race baiting going on. I am third yeah. generation that has lost the reel, and I I worked really really hard uh, for Koangaru, uh during the time when my babies were baby babies. So I'm the parent of that generation that brought the Kuangaril generation through uh, because we had lost that and my grandmother was beaten out of her. Uh, and so my father uh, only spoke it when he was a young boy, uh, up to about the age of five, I think he said, and then after that it was English only. And because of that, I lost the language. Um, and, and uh, you know, when you lose your language, you lose your culture and you lose everything with it. And part of the argument that Party Māori are saying is that the colonizer they will attack the language first to attack the culture and this happened in the 18th century and, and they're saying this is happening again we fought really hard like I fought really hard as a mother to ensure um, that our, my children and my grandchildren were able to speak their native tongue good so it's a and, I, and I praise you for doing that but here's where it falls down Maori is to Rio is of no relevance to me or my children, in my upbringing, I was born in Fiji, right? So, so. But you, but you live in a country where the native people of this country are Maori. That's fine. Uh, when now all blacks go overseas, or when they play countries here in New Zealand, they do the haka. Uh, when that's part of the marketing, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah but but I mean, and but when, that's but that's fine. I yeah, yeah. I, so, I so, but I don't so want to don't, be forced. In, in colonial England, you live in the Pacific. Isn't it a choice, though? I mean, yeah. I don't. It's a personal well, I didn't have a choice to, to be who German I am. either, you know. I didn't have a choice to be who I am, but I do have. But I mean, it's available. I it's it's available. Not having it available would be terrible. I mean. But what I'm saying, fun. it was taken from me and it's getting taken again after all that work that I'd done as a young mother. And I see it being taken again. How's it being taken? Because it's been taken because it's not recognised. I mean, isn't that the whole debate? It's an official language. When you erase a language, you're erasing the people. But I don't see an erasing going. erased. Where is it being erased? You can use te reo any time you want. Because this government is taking te reo and te tiriti out of all it's uh, um, uh, names, street names. I mean, that's going, for starters, we're worried about the taxpayers' dollars. That's going to cost millions of dollars to change it back to England, English. So it's okay to spend millions of dollars to change it to Maori. Is that, that was okay. Oh, well, it's spent. The, the thing is, it's already spent. You're going to spend millions of dollars changing it back. That seems pretty irresponsible of, of the use of taxpayers' money when we're being told that... Uh, we need to tighten up on taxpayers' money. Yeah, we do. Uh, it's not taxpayers' money, it's borrowed money. But, but you don't want to be guilted well, into learning something, do you? No, that's exactly I'm, I refuse to be I refuse to be guilted into learning to Rio or having anything to uh, do with it because because it means nothing to me. I'm more interested well, in learning then, Fiji. Well then well then you're saying you disrespect me. You're just telling no, I'm me. Not. I'm oh, saying I, I actually because you you're no, telling me it doesn't mean nothing to you. No, me, it, 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 that's right. To me, it's personal. To me, I'm, maybe I'm nothing is not the word to you. Person of of this country, you you've just said to me actually, Donna. No, no. Your culture, your language means nothing to no, me. No, Donna. Offense can only be taken. It can't be given. Right. So I'm saying well, what I'm, I'm offended. I'm, then Cam, I'm that's offended. right. Yeah, you're offended, and nothing <laughs> happens. Right. See, the thing is, is that we live in a democracy. I'm entitled to my view that, you know, I was born in Fiji, and so right? And you're, and you're saying that I, that that I should, because I live in New Zealand, be mindful to use to Rio when it's, when it's not my upbringing, well, it's not well, my heritage. It's a Let me tell you, I'm third generation that lost that language, and it's a beautiful language. You're not going to find it anywhere else in the world. Well, Hawaii, well, that's, not, well, that's not true. You can find it in Rarotonga. And New Caledonia. <laughs> that's not the Māori language. It's Come on. Close. 
I've seen Mari and the Hawaiians and communicate in the language. But, Donna, let's get something straight here. I don't disrespect you. I actually respect that you bothered to go and relearn that which was lost, and that was important. That is a personal choice that you made, right, for your makapuna, and that is something that should be respected. And, can and it's I not say something that, that I'm going to do. generation of other cultures don't have a problem. It seems to be a generational thing. Like my children's Pākehā friends are using te reo and they love te reo well, that's and great. don't seem to have that's the same hang-ups as our generation does. I don't, and I, I, don't, I don't have a hang-up. It's just not I, my heritage. I, I think um, that... The whakapapa is uh, important for everybody. Saying Isn't my whakapapa important as well? Saying yes, it means yes. nothing is a bit strong, so maybe a, a better choice of words there. Um, <laughs> but, what, what, uh, but, but which part do I choose? Do I choose the well, Viking not part or the Scot- or Scottish part or the Spanish part? You know, well, my my wife uh, is Indian and speaks Marathi, and she hasn't taught our kids Marathi. And I tell her, "Hey, teach our kids Marathi, because if you don't, people will think I've blocked it." <laughs> but she doesn't really. Marty, you've you been know, blocking it. Come on, yeah. admit it. Uh, well, I, I learn Marathi right words, but I learn Marathi words that amuse me, like bandaka, which is um, eggplant, or uh, or wonge, or is eggplant. Sorry, bandaka means I'm going to hang the phone up now. Um, <laughs> so you know, but um, you know, we sort of we are uh, learning a bit because her parents are here now as well. But it's given me some insight into how languages die. You don't necessarily have to be getting beaten at school. It's just that she doesn't think that that's going to be useful to her kids. So she hasn't taught it to them. That's what my and maybe in a couple of generations, they'll be saying, oh, you know, um, well, as you can hear, I'm moving. It's not going to be, oh, my racist <laughs> my- grandfather stopped my poor Marathi mother from teaching the kids. I um remember being told by my grandmother ages ago in reference to my grandfather who was long dead at the time and the story there he was left-handed and went to school in the uh 20s um and he got strapped every time he used his left hand yeah i'm left-handed too you know so it's not just language right it's it's a whole bunch of things um i agree it's a beautiful uh language there's no excuse for mispronouncing it yeah, it's it's that's not rocket science, and it sounds so much better when it's um pronounced correctly. So I don't think anyone has an excuse on that. Uh, but in the end, it's a choice, isn't it? And don't people push back when they feel like they've been bloody well forced to do something? Yeah. You know. Well, well, yeah. that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, that they have to, like anything, want to do it, and uh, it is a beautiful language. And through the language, you can understand the culture itself as well. So it's a it's it's a, it's a window to our culture. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of our own people, seventy uh, percent of our people, that cannot speak any Maori. So and know, when you see some of the people who are trying to force feed you that, you think. Naturally, I wouldn't take anything, forget the language, anything from these people anyway. You know, so that's where the that's where the, the problems Well that's what I said at the opening of, of this part of the discussion. It's my friends have taught me. Yeah. And uh and and they're very generous in, in, in the way they do so, very patient, very methodical. Uh and uh they yeah, as you say, Paul, they enjoy it uh when you get your pronunciation right and um that's what will uh bring it to truly to life i think and i think maybe we should stop politicizing it and go back go back to to um uh how we did it in the past and we just you know if i'm uh at a even new zealand outdoors and freedom party meeting they actually asked me to share some words with them so they're asking me i'm not actually throwing it on them and, you know, let, let's just get back to that where we've got courtesy and respect for each other. And totally I think agree. that our language will survive if that's the case. So oh, the next Waitangi Day is going to be interesting, isn't it? Hey? Well, I don't know if you remember the last one. I do. <laughs> Remind us. Well, I watched the Facebook video, Donna. 
from I'm a big tutti tutti. Eh? Oh, from Marama? I, yeah. Got yeah. a big tutti tutti, and then she started singing. Yeah, well, um, and I have a major issue, uh, and I've been on radio uh, Tainui Live with a with a esteemed co-matua of Waikato Tainui, and we talked about rangatahi overstepping uh, the mana of co-matua, and that was a good example, because I don't know if you remember um, up at the uh, official dawn opening how that uh, 82-year-old uh, oh, Karanga wow. sung down in the morning. That, 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 was one of, that was one of the most amazing things I've seen, and my heart kind of broke. Mm. It did. And um, thank you for reminding me of that, because that was a very powerful thing to observe, to watch that, you know. But Sorry, that, that again is the Marxism being the colonization that dare not speak its name. And and you see that coming in with some of the younger Te Party Māori members. They're kind of like the erasure of history. We're starting in the year zero and, and we're more enlightened. Uh, and well, it's we, the, what we call the takahi on the mana of komata. It's the stomping on the mana of komata. Mm. When we were growing up as young adults, we were told by our komata, shush, be quiet, sit beside me, learn and wait your turn. When you become yeah. a komata, then you, you, you know, the mana is handed to you. What's happening with the younger ones and what I experience and, and matua uh, pomia, makai experience, is the takahi of that ancient tikanga or that ancient ritual where uh, komatua hold the mana, not the rangatahi. And but I, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because they've done the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And that's what I, I heard, you know, Wis criticism of Winston. Winston. Winston is, you know, he's too old for it. No, I want someone who's got a lifetime of experience and seen every freaking thing in the world that could happen and mm. knows and can see it coming and knows kind of how to deal with it. I want someone like that. Well, it's funny because he's Deputy Prime Minister by name only. <laughs> I say that because I actually think he's the Shadow Prime Minister. Okay. Myself. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I feared when Luxon was coming in that we were going to have that that corporatocracy. Um, but I think that what's happened with David Seymour and Winston Peters is they kind of are acting as something of a moral conviction politician board of oversight of him, which is is heartening. Well, I think, I, don't... I think what happened is Winston and David Seymour got together and found out they liked each other. And and then they sat down and thought, well, right, we've got um, Luxon here. Yeah, a couple of glasses of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, a couple of glasses of whiskey, a few cigars, and he probably said, look, we've got Luxon by the balls here. Seymour smoking cigars, come on. Yeah, I can't see that, but Winston would have. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it just reminds me, we should bring back the smoke-filled rooms. I mean, that was conducive policy uh, making was always done in smoke-filled rooms. We should bring that back. But anyway, that's that's a personal thing for well, me. I'll bring it back. <laughs> I was going to say, isn't that in the pipelines? <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, that was um, that was really cool. Time's gone now. I want to thank Donna Polkati, Phillips, co-leader of the um, Freedom and Outdoors Party for being on our panel. Thank you, Donna. Thank you. I hope it was a good I, experience. I did enjoy it. I did enjoy the robust debates. Fantastic. Well, I think... Um, uh, That's what we need more of. We need more robust again. debate. Yeah, Courageous we'll, we'll discourse, sure. I call it. Yeah. I killed it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. thank you, uh, Marty, again. Yeah, thanks. And the one and only Cam Slater. You feeling good, Cam? You okay? Um, I'm feeling a lot better than I was last week. Let's yeah. just say that. Okay, a couple well, of weeks good. to go till Christmas, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got only one or two panels to go. So I'd like to thank our panelists. We'll do it all again in a week. Yoda. Thank you. Have a great week. Okay, to some of your texts that have come in during and just following our political panel there. Clearly, Donna doesn't understand percentage. Te Party Māori only won 3% of Māori vote despite their many seats, which is at best 3% of 17% total population of Māori in New Zealand, and it's only relevant if all Māori people are on the Māori roll, and they are not. Does she not realise they are a very insignificant part of New Zealand as a whole? A very good reason why Māori seats must go. Thank you, Janet. Yes, Cam, I'm loving it too, just loving it, cheering for Winston through that speech, cheering on fire. 
Are you aware of the Senate hearing in the USA from Dr. Philip Buckholz, professor at USC, and the scientist whose lab brought out the PCR test? I call it the horse's mouth. Okay. This professor is talking about the tests that need to be done on a bunch of vaccinated people to see if the theory that the contaminated mRNA vaccines could have the permanent DNA altering that it could possibly cause. This kind of backs up New Zealand data from the Ministry of Health, I believe. The professor's concerns regarding each heavily contaminated dose, every single dose that went out on the market, could be the cause of these current excess mortality issues we are seeing all over the Western world. Paul, Winston needs to direct that Barry Young is lead data analyst in the new COVID inquiry. Yeah, thank you, Harry. Could it be that the massive financial burden having to pay out for all the vaccine injured would be unsustainable for a country hurtling toward bankruptcy? I think that is a very accurate point to make. Can we afford this at the scale? Remember, if you believe it, over 90% of the population has taken this. <laughs> Crikey. It's, it's kind of unbearable to think about, really. So, 2057 for the text, email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Hi Paul, an interesting political talk this morning. I just want to say, although I'm white European, I appreciate having Donna sharing her views. I support very much her defence of the Māori language. I agree, it's a beautiful language, and I appreciate very much the few words that have been taught to me. I would like to learn more. I do, however, support changing the main government services back to English, because I do struggle with knowing what is what, Thank you, Donna, for joining RCR. You make a lot of sense. Bless you all on this beautiful Friday. Well, thank you for that. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having Donna on. Cam needs his views challenged occasionally. Mostly, though, I really appreciate hearing another different opinion on RCR. Please bring her back. Yes, yay, for more robust debate. Great to have Donna on. Yes, Tereo needs to be a choice. It's also good to hear a Maori voice. Love the robust debate this morning. The Māori language and culture is definitely being used to further divide and Māori great intercept when needed. Athena, thank you, Athena. I arrived in New Zealand 15 years ago by boat from the UK. I totally embrace New Zealand as a Pacific island and Māori culture is what distinguishes New Zealand from the cultures of Europe. We should be celebrating and preserving this cultural history. It's part of our identity. Let's look after the past sites, tell the story. I don't agree with division on grounds of race, but Māori culture and language is surely part of New Zealand's heritage. Thank you, Alice. Loved hearing Donna on the panel. Nice to have her balanced slashed lived experience in regards to reo or language. I believe it would benefit all to learn. There is lots of research that supports children that could speak more than one language, have advantages, for example, easier to learn further languages, etc. Love the discussion this morning. Totally agree as a Pakiha that it's important to keep the reo alive. I love hearing the language spoken in day-to-day -day life, but have over the last three years found it extremely confusing with all government departments now being in te reo only. Yeah, and it sort of goes without saying from me, but I will say it, that we were grateful for Donna coming on the panel this morning. Rational discussion, open debate, that's what it's all about. We are committed to doing much more of that in 2024. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057, or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.